as we look to this passage, I want to maybe structure it around a few key uh, words or phrases that Luke uses. They might not be strange words, but they're strange in the way that Luke uses them. And one is breathing, one is me, and then one is here I am, Lord. So when we think of this first word, we think that there, we, when, we, when you think of um, wanting to use a, a, a word or a phrase that uh, communicates that something is absolutely central to your identity or to your life's purpose, there are a handful of terms and phrases that, that we use. There aren't many, I don't think. One might be the essence, right? The essence of something is, um, is central to its identity or purpose, like the essence of motherhood on Mother's Day, we might think of as self-sacrificing love, right? So we might use that term essence to communicate what's, what's at the core of this thing, motherhood. There are others like um, the mission, right? The mission of Chick-fil-A. What's the central identity or purpose of Chick-fil-A or any other institution? Chick-fil-A's is um, to be America's best quick service restaurant. So if you were to ask someone at Chick-fil-A, what, what's the essence? What are you all about? Um, what, what makes you get up in the morning? Well, it's, it's to be America's best quick service restaurant. We might just use this phrase, well, this is what I'm all about. More poetically, we might refer to our core identity or life's purpose as the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Like a, a LeBron James might say, um, a hard workout and, and practicing my craft of, of basketball is the air I breathe. It's what I get up thinking about. It's, it's what I communicate with my friends about it's it's the thing that I work hardest on right it's the air I breathe that's the word that we pick up as we come to um, to uh, to Acts chapter 9 oh by the way but Cat Stevens I don't know if anybody heard of Cat Stevens he's a pretty good oh yeah right so he says recently music is a lady that I still love this is great isn't that poetic Music is a lady that I still love because she gives me the air I breathe. We need all sorts of nourishment, and music satisfies and nourishes the hunger within ourselves for connection and harmony. So apparently Cat Stevens, he's a big believer in being connected to other people and to beauty and harmony, and music is the lady that gives him these things. Music is gives him the air that he breathes. So, couldn't resist, you know, including that even though I accidentally skipped it. Um, Saul, when we open up this passage in Acts chapter nine, listen, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul, in this, this word breathing, it's a, it's a strange word in Greek. When, when we think breathing, we might just think mumbling or murmuring, talking under his breath, right? He's just kind of uh, 
That's not what this word means. This word in the Greek is actually he's inhaling. This is the air that he breathes. This is the essence of Paul. This is the core of his identity and his mission. He's not trying to make good sandwiches. That's not the <laughs> air that he breathes. His identity, his life's purpose is, I will eradicate every vestige of Jesus from the planet. And my next stop is Damascus. And so I'm going to go to the high priest and say, give me the search warrants that I need to kick doors down, bind men and women, and bring them back here. Why? So that they can go on trial like Stephen just did. The air that Saul breathes is hatred toward Jesus and a desire, a passion, a, a myopic vision to eradicate every vestige of him from the earth. That's what he's striving for. That was Saul's essence. That was his mission. That's what Saul is all about. That's what he's breathing is threats and murder. If we think about Jesus and what we know of him in the Gospels, even what we see of Jesus and the response to Jesus in the world today, Saul's not alone, is he? We think about the, the theme of opposition toward Jesus and what you know of the Gospels, just kind of scrolling quickly through some of the high watermarks. The birth narrative in Matthew opens essentially with Herod and the Magi, right? So you've got two different kings. You've got Herod and you've got these strangers that live far away. They're, they're kings, though. And, and Matthew uses these two sets of royalty to show us this Jesus person who's about to be born, there's a very binary response to him that we can expect. And Matthew's using these two kings to invite us into the right response. But he's basically saying, I think, make no mistake, you're going to either be like Herod and want to push Jesus and his claims for kingship as far away from you as you can and eradicate that vestige of Jesus as king and Lord. Or you're going to fall down and worship him and lay all your treasures before him the way that these magi did. There's opposition there right at the beginning. And it goes throughout the Gospels, if you think through it. We, we don't have time today to go through, but, but you know, like all the times in Mark's Gospel, for instance, I think it's over a dozen times that, that Mark makes a reference to people going off and plotting how they might trap and kill Jesus. And as his life and his ministry progresses and increases and his influence increases, just um, exactly kind of symmetrical to that, you see this opposition and this hatred, this energy to kill Jesus um, traced alongside every single time Jesus does something amazing. In some of the Gospels, you, you almost get chapter for chapter where Jesus does something amazing throughout the entirety of the chapter, and then the conclusion of that chapter is another plot to kill Jesus. So Saul's not alone in his breathing against Jesus. His breathing uh, is a rebellion against the reign of Christ. He's not alone, and I believe that if, if we're honest, um, the reign of Christ 
the claim of Christ on me, the claim of Christ on you, if, if rightly understood, I think if rightly engaged, is always agitated, isn't it? I mean, do you wake up in the morning every day just naturally submitted to Jesus? Naturally submitted to where he wants to lead you, how he wants to form you, something he wants to put his finger on to have you let go of, something about yourself that he wants you to get over. If rightly understood, Jesus is, is a force, he's a ruler, he's a king who's at once always embracing us in love and never letting go of us, but also always speaking directly to us in an eye-to-eye loving way and, and being our master. And we don't always appreciate that. I know I don't always. So I believe that today we can see this, this Saul figure on the road to Damascus, at least to know that, that that Saul exists in all of our hearts and seed form and is never fully gone, right? So if that's what Saul is breathing, if that's his identity, who's the next person of note that we meet in the text? It's Jesus. And here's where the good news is for us, especially as we celebrate Easter. What is the risen Christ about? What is the identity of the risen Christ who we worship? What is he breathing? What is he thinking about? What's his core mission? Jesus doesn't sleep, but if he did sleep, what would he be thinking about when he woke up in the morning? What would be burdening him? Well, we see it here. And the, 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 the beauty of this text shows us that it's, it's the redemption of the world. It's the folding of all people into himself. We see here first that, that not even Saul is out of his reach. This man who is hell-bent to eradicate Jesus from the world is confronted by Jesus in a way that's redemptive. Jesus confronts him and says, and, 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 and Saul collapses. And he asks, you know, who, who is this? And Jesus says, it is Christ who you are persecuting. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. First he says something interesting, though, and this brings us to the next word, me. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus could have said any number of things there. This word, me, is funny in this context. It's, it stands out, right? It's not natural. It's natural to us maybe because we've heard it hundreds of times and we know that it belongs there out of repetition. But it's not natural. If... <clears throat> If um, one of my sons walked up right now and hit me in some part of my body, hit me in the arm or the leg or something like that, I wouldn't say, Peter, Peter, why did you just hit my tibia, right? I, I don't even know where that is. <laughs> um, but if I did and I got hit there, that would that would be like a, maybe a normal thing to say. It's maybe weird, but or <clears throat> why did you hit me in the arm? Right? I could say that. Why did you just hit me in the arm? Now my arm hurts. 
Um, why did you just kick me in the knee? I could say that, but I also could say, why did you hit me? Right? This arm, this tibia, this knee, whatever just got attacked. I could say, why did you just attack me? My person. That tibia is part of me. It's part of my existence. It's part of my being. It's part of my body. That's what Jesus does here. And it's mind-blowing, if you think about it. And also, if you think about how do we know at all about Jesus' um, vision or, or our identity as part of the body of Christ? How do we know that? Where do we read about that? We read about it in 1 Corinthians 12. We read it in 1 Corinthians 14. We read it in Ephesians chapter 4. Who wrote that? The one who gets confronted here and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And then he goes blind for a while and he's got some time to think. And then after this conversion experience, he disappears into the desert for a while and he's got even more time to think. And he comes out writing and he comes out on missionary journeys, right? And he writes to these people and he writes to you and to me saying, every single person who's going to be folded into Jesus is going to be an integral part of his body. Such that here, when Paul is attacking these men and women who live in Jerusalem or the surrounding towns, these men and women who are in Damascus, who he's on his way to visit and tie up and bring back to Jerusalem so that they can be tried and maybe executed. Jesus is saying, why are you persecuting me, not why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting those Christians? Why are you persecuting your fellow Israelites? He says, why are you persecuting me? So Paul or Saul attacking the leg or the arm or the tibia of Jesus, that's what he's doing. This is a real part of Jesus' body. So the, 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 the gospel, our union with Christ that we celebrate every week when we come to the table and we partake of bread and wine. And afterwards we say, thank you for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are members of the body of your son. Right? That we're members of the body of your son. When you think of yourself and your relationship to Jesus, and when you think of the risen Christ and how he sees his relationship to you, it's nothing less than you are an integral part of his body. And that's exactly what Jesus is about. That's what he's after. That's the air that he breathes. He says, Saul is my instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, to his countrymen, to kings, and to all the ends of the earth. Saul is going to be used by me to go and talk about my name so that I can fold all of these people into myself and integrate them into myself the way that I've integrated the people who've already called on my name. That includes us. So that's what Jesus is about. That's what Jesus is breathing. That's his existence in the world is to reach and save and integrate people into his body. That's our standing right now. So as we come and celebrate, that's exactly what we're doing. We're remembering that Jesus has folded us in.
and that we're partaking of his body as members of his body, it's, it's something that we can remember every week. The last word that I'd like us to consider is this, this phrase, this response from Ananias. When Jesus comes and confronts Ananias, right at the beginning, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. It's interesting how both men in this story that are confronted by Jesus use that um, identifier when they're responding initially. Right? Saul on the road says, who are you, Lord? And Ananias says, here I am, Lord. So one is familiar with Jesus already, one is not. Both of them just know intuitively, this is the Lord, right? But I hope that this helps us to find ourselves in this story. As Jesus says, he's going to find all people. He's going to all the nations. Saul is going to be his instrument to take the gospel to where it's never been before, to people who've never been part, in a sense, formally, of the body of, of Christ before or the people of God before. And Ananias is here identifying himself under Jesus as one of his disciples. Whether you're here today and you're not a Christian, and you're saying, who are you, Lord? Or you are a Christian, like Ananias was. And you can remember that Jesus is there, risen, seeking, breathing, to bring more people into his kingdom. That's his mission. That's his identity. That's what he's doing. That's what he's all about. That we, as Christians, if you are a Christian, we can position ourselves under that mission and say, here I am, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then sure enough, Jesus gives him specific instructions. Whether you spend most of your time at home, um, either because your kids are grown and gone, and you've got hobbies and things that you do, or you're looking after small children, or whether you're going to school, or whether you're volunteering in different ways, whether you're in a job where you're working and you're out in the marketplace most of the time, wherever God's placed you, Jesus is here. The risen Christ is here reminding us, this is what I'm about. I'm not about dropping it down into neutral and just cruising home. And that's not what you're about. That's not why I've called you. All of us are his instruments. And, and, and the right response to this risen Christ, who's breathing salvation into the world, who's breathing redemption into your neighbors and into your workplaces and into your playgroups and into your volunteer organizations and your bridge clubs, whatever you do, whoever you're rubbing shoulders with, Jesus wants them in his body. That's what he's about. And the right response for us would be, Lord, here I am. Make me an instrument of your peace. Here I am. Give me the words to say, just like that colic that we pray so often during morning and evening prayer that talks about Jesus stretching out his arms on the hard wood of the cross so that he can bring everybody into his loving embrace. So equip us, I don't know it verbatim, but so equip us to look to the world and to reach out to the world in love that others who don't know you might be brought to you. That's the good news.
It was good news for Saul, wasn't it? Someone like Saul, the biggest heel in the world. I mean, he says it himself in 1 Timothy. If, if I can be saved, and I was, I was saved so that anyone else in the world would know that they're within the reach of God's mercy. Because I was killing Christians. If we can find mercy, if Saul can find mercy, we are to know that anyone and everyone around us can find mercy. And this is what Jesus is about. So we've come to worship Jesus today. We're going to continue doing that in various ways. But I hope at least, for me this is helpful, I hope for you it's helpful to, to have a clarified, maybe simplified view of the risen Christ as he is right now and what he's about and what he's breathing, what he's doing, what he's concerned about. And he's concerned still about bringing more people into his body and he calls us to be the fullness of him who fills all in all, according to Paul in Ephesians. That's who we are. We're the body of Christ filling all in all. May God give us all strength to do that. May he give us wisdom and empathy toward those who he's put us around, that they might also taste and see that the Lord is good. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.